0: Welcome to Gaia's Disclosure Podcast. Go beyond the mainstream to uncover hidden truths and decode ancient origins. If you want to go deeper, visit Gaia.com. Watch interviews, movies, and original series created to empower a community of fellow seekers. For more information, visit GaiaDisclosure.com. Since ancient times, there have been legends of secret orders and great masters who live long lifespans on the Earth and possess special types of knowledge about alchemy and life extension. Could these people still exist in secret? Could they be watching over the development of humanity? In this episode, we will be exploring immortality and alchemy. Imagine a world where your leaders or gods, if you will, lived on average over 30,000 years each. Not possible, you might ask? Such a reaction is understandable, for in today's reality, this would be a rather impossible concept to grasp. However, might I suggest the following story to tantalize your senses. While researching the topic of human immortality, I discovered the eight immortal kings of Samaria, which come from the Sumerian kings list, who lived a total of 241,200 years. Yes, you heard me correctly. To put this into better perspective, that is an average of 30,150 years per a king. What becomes evidently clear is that humans used to live much longer, but gradually our lifespans have gotten shorter and shorter since those ancient times, especially after the story of the great flood in the Bible. In fact, these eight kings closely coincide with the biblical accounts from Adam to Noah. Although shorter in years, less two kings compared to the 10 biblical patriarchs. Despite the differences, the most important part to note from these charts are the years that each of the eight kings lived and their biblical counterparts, followed by the great flood. Clearly, contemporary thinking dismisses such stories as mythological. Nevertheless, I've discovered through my research that these type of stories have an element of truth to them. We call this allegory. Finding the allegorical truth within such a story is up to each person or interpreter. Never dismiss a story, even if it's folklore, because it is well known that such tales always have an element of truth to them. The important part to consider here is that the tale of the eight immortal kings of Sumeria who lived an average of over 30,000 years each is a clear example of our human potential. The question still remains, however, is immortality really possible? We have countless esoteric authors and scholars who wrote about immortality training in the secret mysteries or ancient mystery schools, not to mention in our holy books. Most interestingly, the Old Testament mentions immortal stories like those of Elijah, Enoch, Melchizedek, and Moses. We are told that Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven, and that Enoch was translated so that he should not see death and was taken by God. We are also told that Moses appeared in the transfiguration with Jesus. We get numerous examples of long lifespans in the first part of the book of Genesis as Adam lived 930 years, Seth lived 912 years, Methuselah lived 969 years, while Noah lived 950 years. We learn in Genesis 6-3 that the Elohim creator beings, or geneticists, looking at the progress of humanity decided to limit our lifespans to 120 years. Of course, there's another perspective here, that since the book of Genesis was written in probably the fourth and sixth centuries BCE, and it greatly borrowed from the Sumerian creation story with the Enuma-lish, that its events are based on things that happened over hundreds and thousands of years. We could be looking at a number of genetic factors here, including biological and geographical clues with the great flood or cataclysms. It even talks about how in the days of Peleg, the continents were divided or split up due to a great cataclysm. This leads us to believe that the Garden of Eden could be another telling of the Atlantis story, where we could apply scientific terms here and be talking about the Pleistocene period, or what we call that period before the last mini ice age, and the Holocene after the ice age up until now. Later in Genesis, we are told that Abraham lived to be 175 years old, where it said in chapter 25, seven, And these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived, and 100, threescore, and 15 years. In the Mormon faith, it is believed that John the Baptist, Peter, James, and Moroni are still alive, as it is written, in the current dispensation, resurrected beings, including John the Baptist, Peter, James, and Moroni. We also learn in Christian theology that Adam and Eve and all their descendants lost their immortality in the great fall from the Garden of Eden. Throughout our histories, there are countless stories about legendary immortals, like the Sumerian king, Zusardra, who earned immortality after the great flood. Similar to the story of Noah, who also lived 950 years, as well as Markandia, who was an ancient sage and a celebrated devotee of both Shiva and Vishnu, who became an immortal at the age of 16? Or how about the Greek legend of Tithonus or Aurora, who was granted eternal life, but not eternal youth? Some might say that this story is based on Greek mythology, but truly, any student of the esoteric sciences must understand that these ancient tales give us important clues about the mysteries. Probably the most famous immortal everyone has heard of is the legendary Count Saint Germain, who was a mysterious Frenchman, an intellectual, philosopher, Mason, and Rosicrucian, who traveled around Europe between 1710 and 1822. Not only did he go by many names, but was known to frequent places like France, London, Russia, and Persia. We are told he was fluent in several languages, Many who reported seeing him said he was a middle-aged looking handsome man with dark hair and a powdered face, free from wrinkles and dressed in mostly all black. We also know he was a great intellectual. It was ambidextrous, being able to write two different manuscripts at once with both hands at the same time and could play multiple musical instruments. He was adorned by kings like Louis XV and was consulted by scientists and artists of his day. It was also said that he carried with him the famed elixir of life that gave him longevity, and he was well-versed in meditation and the teachings of Buddhism and the Hindu faith. From time to time, he would even retreat for extended periods to India and in the Himalayan mountains. Saint Germain was said to be known by many names and traveled in elite circles. One popular idea is that he was the son of Prince Rakotsi of Transylvania. But according to theosophist Francis Udney, St. Germain was, in fact, not the son of Prince Racozzi, as some say, but due to his age, philosophical, and mystical training, he was the one and very same person as the prince himself. Udney also believed that St. Germain faked his own death and was born Francis Bacon in 1626. He became Francis Racozzi in 1735 and the Comte de St. Germain in 1784. It is also a popular belief that Saint Germain was the mysterious visitor who intervened at the signing of the Declaration of Independence on July 4, 1776, at the founding of America. As it was reported in the personal diaries of Thomas Jefferson, that an unknown visitor appeared from behind closed doors and impressed upon the frightened delegates that it was necessary for them to sign this important historical document and that God meant for America to be free. This man was not in the original John Trumbull painting of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And since Jefferson was featured on the front of the $2 bill, and this was his story, I've often wondered if this could be a reference to St. Germain. St. Germain was known to initiate into the mortal traditions, like Egyptian-based Masonic lodges around Europe. In fact, there are countless hidden organizations which you've probably never heard of. These secret societies are like a pyramid as it gets very narrow at the top. The best way to think of these groups is like a prerequisite or a educational training requirement of the mystery schools before a worthy candidate is chosen by one of the countless hidden fraternities of the world, which might just be run by immortals. Perhaps we get clues about this when we examine the G in the middle of the emblem for Freemasonry, which is the compass and the square, or the tools of the master builder. Some of the less known and more esoteric meanings of the G are generativity, as in regeneration and immortality. Then we have gravitation, which is the law of attraction. And finally, G for Germain, as in Saint Germain, a contemporary, if not the same person as Sir Francis Bacon, who is the father of modern masonry. Also. Most curiously, in the 1700s, French masons passed around a triangular-shaped book belonging to Saint Germain that was written on vellum, or parchment paper, and it contained alchemical and esoteric symbols. This book was later acquired by Manley P. Hall for his library from a Sotheby's auction. Its triangular shape is symbolically important to alchemy because its symbol is three times three elements, as symbolized, amongst other things, by the 33rd degree of Freemasonry. This is also the number of emanations from the root of the divine tree with our kundalini energies that move up the 33 vertebrae of the spine and awaken the spirit fire within, like the phoenix that rises from the ashes. If you look outside the Skull and Bones Club of Yale University, you will find a skull and bones that says 322 underneath it on their door. This is no doubt a reference to immortality, as it says in Genesis 3:22, and the Lord God said, behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat it and live forever. We also find the symbolism of the skull and crossbones in masonry, which represents the death and resurrection of Hiram Abiff, or the widow's son. By reading Masonic authors like Albert Pike, Eliphas Levi, Manly P. Hall, I have come to the conclusion that immortality is not only a possibility, but a reality. Sometimes they're referring to the immortality of the soul and the hereafter, and at other times in their works, we learn that immortals have lived among us for a long time and hidden their identities and even faked their deaths or had a philosopher's death, as it's called, for fear of persecution. Along the lines of immortality and secret societies, there is a group reputedly called the Great White Lodge or the Great White Brotherhood. This group of ascended masters spread spiritual knowledge to worthy humans who thereby teach others. Countless people have talked to, written about, and been guided by them, including but not limited to Manly P. Hall, Helena Petrovna Blavatsky, Alice Bailey, Guy Ballard, and even Aleister Crowley. Most interestingly, Ballard founded the I Am movement after his meeting with Saint Germain, whose experiences were outlined in his book, Unveiled Mysteries in 1934. Many people believe that the Great White Lodge is composed of immortals, supernatural beings that have great powers, who maintain an active watch over this world. These ascended masters continue to carry and teach ancient wisdom to only the worthy. Manley P. Hall discussed this immortal fraternity in his Special Class and Secret Doctrine by saying, the Great White Brotherhood is composed of initiates from all parts of the earth, and these form the invisible government of the earth. This group is a lawmaking body deciding with its clear intelligence the needs of humanity and seeking to meet these needs in the most efficient manner. The power of the adepts over the visible and invisible worlds enables them to invoke the forces of nature to the attainment of any particular end. The temple of the Great White Lodge, we are told, stands upon an island of permanent rock in the heart of the Gobi Desert of Mongolia or Mongolian Tibet. Gaia.com lets you explore over 8,000 films, documentaries, and original series. There's so much going on in the unseen world. Hidden truth. Why in the media today, they still seem to hold back on these incredible stories. Behind an unknown universe. Where science and spirituality all come together. Gaia.com. Content you can't find anywhere else. For more information, visit GaiaDisclosure.com. That last part is especially interesting as the Gobi Desert is believed to be where the secret entrance to the mythical Shambhala is. We know the German secret societies, like the Vril Society, were obsessed with the idea of an advanced and ancient race of immortals that were survivors of the cataclysms living in subterranean areas of the earth in a place called Agartha, which Edward Bulwer-Lito wrote about in his 1871 book, The Coming Race. But could these immortals possess some sort of ancient Atlantean life extension technology? And could they have actually been missionaries of sorts that seeded all of our ancient religions and traditions on this planet? Manly P. Hall believed that many of our most influential masters and teachers were members of the mystery schools, which were established for the redemption of the human race. He made it abundantly clear that the Great White Lodge is comforted and happy if even one human soul every hundred years can find the door and go in. But where does the Great White Lodge originate from? First of all, its name has nothing to do with the ethnicity of its initiates, but was connected to a very important 18th dynasty priestly king of Egypt called Thutmose III. We know he was the founder of the Great White Brotherhood, which was written about extensively in Alexandria. And much like the stories we hear about St. Germain and his magical elixir of life, Thutmose III was known to eat these strange, pyramidal-shaped white cakes, hence the name, the Great White Brotherhood. But let's come back to him in just a moment, and let's look at where this practice originated from. When we go back and examine ancient Egypt, it was never called Egypt. That was from the Greeks who called it Egyptos. The true name for Egypt was Chem or Kemet, which means the black land. And it refers to its dark mineral rich soils. Once a year at the beginning of July, when the star Sirius would appear brightly in the sky, The Nile would flood up at Avidos with a black, mineral-rich material soil that was collected and processed for extraction at the back of the Osirion, which is named after one of the progenitor gods of Egypt named Osiris, who actually was a giant with an elongated head. And he is named after Sirius, like Osiris or Osiris. At the back of Abydos, in the Osirion, where these materials would flood up and be processed from the Nile, the walls are covered in the flower of life patterns as in everlasting life, perfectly etched onto the walls as if they'd been done with a laser. The priest chemists of Egypt would then extract this black material through a secret alchemical procedure and turn it into a white powder of gold, creating these cakes called mufkuts, mana, or as the Greek Septuagint Bible calls it, the bread of the presence. When consumed, this material became bioelectrical, upgrading the body's mental capacity, physical health, and energy fields over time, causing physical regeneration when combined with spiritual practices. When visiting these temples over the years with Egyptologist Muhammad Ibrahim, I would tell him about the Mufkuts and the legends of white gold, and he would always dismiss them. Until 2019, at the Abydos temple, we discovered the inscriptions on the walls for the chosen initiates needing to eat these white cakes in order to walk through a false door to the netters or to the gods and immortals. Muhammad was shocked to discover the truth about what they revealed. These sorts of entrances are not unusual in certain temples. But at this particular place, there are seven holy of holies that say they are stargates outside of these doors. And it has been suggested that this strange substance appears to be the key or DNA upgrade, if you will, to be able to access them. On the same trip, I was joined by the British lawyer and researcher, J.P. Haig, who is also a gifted clairvoyant. As we walked around Abydos temple, he happened to be suddenly overwhelmed by a vision of Egyptian priests in long flowing white robes and hats who are cooking up these materials at fiery hot temperatures in a preparation room towards the rear of the complex. This led us to a narrow, long room where we could see the dark residue or a blackened chimney hole on the roof indicated by the corresponding instructions on the hieroglyphics and surrounding reliefs that this was where the priest class were preparing and administering these sacred materials to give to worthy initiates. These impressions are consistent with the discoveries made by Sir William Flinders Petrie, who in 1904 ventured into the Sinai with the British Royal Society while looking for the Moses Mountain, otherwise known today as Sedebit al-Kadim. It was there that he uncovered a secret cave temple dedicated to the goddess Hathor, which had these hermetically sealed chambers full of a white powder. Here we find the instructions or hieroglyphics up on the reliefs that we see on the walls for ritualistically taking this strange alchemical material, which they were probably extracting from water in the Dead Sea. We find up on the walls there was a list of all the royal lineages from the fourth all the way up to the 19th dynasty that were most likely consuming this when they visited the temple. Interestingly enough, when you examine the Moses story in Exodus 32:20 of the Bible that happened at this exact place, we are told that Moses comes down from the mountain after receiving the edicts of the Decalogue, so the 10 commandments, from the fiery finger of God. And he sees that the Israelites have fashioned a golden calf to worship out of the spoils of Egypt. At that point, Moses becomes furious. He orders them to destroy it, burn it, grind it to a powder, and consume it. This was obviously some sort of purification process of their bodies. Not only is this passage very strange, as gold doesn't typically burn up and turn into a powder. It smolders and melts. But you might also recall that Flinders Petrie discovered that this was a secret temple dedicated to the goddess Hathor, who also had the ears of the calf. We can only speculate that alchemy must have originated in Atlantis and was deposited into India and Northern Africa through the Egyptian mysteries. It remained there for thousands of years until the Arabs brought it to Europe with alchimia, where its secret has stayed preserved for centuries. This leads us to other important figures that possess the elixir of life, such as the Swiss-German born toxicologist and alchemist, Paracelsius. He is said to have sprinkled a little bit of this white powdery substance around when people were ill or they were sick, and they would be miraculously healed from all of their ailments. This substance was called the Philosopher's Stone by the 15th century French alchemist, Nicolas Flamel. One of the places we get the greatest clues about alchemy comes from one of my absolute favourite and most beautiful esoteric cities in Europe, which is Prague in the Czech Republic. Most notably, it was home to the 17th century ruler, Rudolf II, an eccentric member of the Habsburg family who is obsessed with strange grimoires, clocks, art, mathematics, and collecting rare botanical specimens from around the world. He was also obsessed with alchemy and believed that magic could ward off the invaders of the Ottoman Empire. So he invited all the famous alchemists and magicians of his day there, making Prague an esoteric haven. To this day, you can visit alchemy museums there, go into underground passageways that were used by the alchemists, walk through the Golden Lane and see the Powder Tower where famous occultists like John Dee and Edward Kelly were known to frequent. Interestingly enough, when I've looked at Rudolf II's private art collection at the Prague Castle, we find many esoteric, erotic, and alchemical pieces. But most notably, when I was there, I observed he had a painting from mana, a white gold, revealing that he had a keen interest in the philosopher's stone. In my conversations with legendary esoteric researcher Jay Widener, he tells me that the alchemist knows that the first half of their life must be spent working on life extension by gathering prana from the elements, including a hidden one in nature known to give a tremendous boost to your life force. These elements include air, wind, fire, and water, which in physics are like the four states of matter with solids, liquids, gases, and plasma. The first part of your life involves extending your life, and the second part is involved in creating the stone, which probably doesn't take place until you're around 120 years of age. The reason that one wants to extend their life is to give them enough time to perfect the stone. Sometimes this can take many years, sometimes decades. If you discover the secret of the Philosopher's Stone at 70 years of age, it might be too late to cultivate the prima materia needed for the stone. And this is why life extension becomes so paramount in your quest. In the case of William Reich, who after years of working with Oregon, which is a form of plasma, Reich discovered that he was glowing blue, just like the reports of people seeing immortals. But we can gather some clues about this process from the French alchemist, Fulcanelli, who said in 1937, the vital thing is not the transmutation of metals, but that of the experimenter himself. It is an ancient secret that a few people rediscover each century. Unfortunately, only a handful are successful. In other words, Another way of looking at this is that the philosopher's stone is really your soul, and that you are regenerating from the inside out with an ascended body that is similar to what churchgoers call the resurrection body and the Buddhists call the rainbow body. That brings us back to the story of the priestly king, Tutmosis III from Egypt. When you visit Karnak Temple in Egypt, where Thutmose III would hang out at the back, we find glyphs on the walls cataloging the inventory of his treasury, which strangely enough accounts for white cakes or a type of bread made of gold listed next to the other gold, silver, and precious jewels in his collection. Perhaps one day in the future, we will discover a, a compound in nature that will increase our longevity and body functionality. The reality is, the ancient mysteries knew how to do this and taught that we could live much longer than previously thought if only we desire it and study it. Immortality is not just a lost art. In fact, I have been told there are masters living among us now that continue to instruct humanity from behind the scenes. Simply stated, it is a universal law that such immortal knowledge must be earned and never given. When everyone realizes the truth of an immortal existence, that immortality is not just of the soul, but the physical body as well, and how it is a choice that we can aspire to evolve to, these immortals will come out of hiding and reveal their secrets to us once and for all. I'm Johnny Enoch, and thanks for watching Mystery Teachings. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gaia's Disclosure Podcast. To learn even more, go to Gaia.com, where you can watch interviews, movies, and original series. Gaia.com, content you can't find anywhere else. For more information, visit GaiaDisclosure.com.